Chapter Six, Part Two, of the Guns of Shiloh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Guns of Shiloh by Joseph A. Altscheller, Chapter Six, Mill Spring, Part Two. All through the night, Thomas worked. He directed men with spades to throw up more entrenchments. He saw that the guns of the battery were placed exactly right. He ordered that food should be ready for all very early in the morning. And then, when nothing more remained to be done, save to wait for the decree of battle, he sat before his tent, wrapped in a heavy military overcoat, silent and watchful. Scouts had brought in additional news that the southern army was still marching steadily along the muddy roads, and that Captain Markham's calculation of its arrival about dawn would undoubtedly prove correct. Dick awoke while it was yet dark, and throwing off the heavy blankets, stood up. Although the dawn had not come, the night was now fairly light, and Dick could see a long distance over the camp, which stretched to left and right along a great front. Near him was the battery with most of the men sleeping beside their guns, and not far away was the tent. Although he could not see the general, he knew instinctively that he was not asleep. It was cold and singularly still, considering the presence of so many thousands of men. He did not hear the sound of human voices, and there were no stamp of horses' feet. They, too, were weary and resting then Dick was conscious of a tall, thin figure beside him. Warner had awakened, too. Dick, he said, it can't be more than an hour till dawn. Just about that, I should say. And the scene that is as far as we can see it is most peaceful. Dick made no answer, but stood a long time listening. And then he said, my ears are pretty good, George, and sound will carry very far in this silence just before the dawn. I thought I heard a faint sound like the clank of a cannon. I think I hear it too, said Warner, and here is the dawn closer at hand than we thought. Look at those cold rays over there, behind that hill in the east. They are the vanguard of the sun. So they are, and this is the vanguard of the southern army. He spoke the last words quickly and with excitement. In front of them, down the road, they heard the crackle of a dozen rifle shots. The southern advance, undoubtedly, had now come into contact with the Union sentinels and skirmishers. After the first shots there was a moment's breathless silence, and then came a scattered and rapid fire as if at least a hundred rifles were at work. Dick's pulse began to beat hard, and he strained his eyes through the darkness, but he could not yet see the enemy. He saw instead little jets of fire, like red dots, appearing on the horizon and then the sound of the rifles came again. Warner was with him, and both stood by the side of Major Hertford, ready to receive and deliver his orders. Dick now heard, besides the firing in front, the confused murmur and moving of the Union army. Few of these troops had been in battle before. The same could be said of the soldiers on the other side, and this attack in the half-light troubled them. They wished to see the men who were going to shoot at them in order that they might have a fair target in return. Fighting in the night was scarcely fair. One never knew what to do. 
but Thomas, the future Rock of Chickamauga, was already showing himself a tower of strength. He reassured his nervous troops. He borrowed Dick and Warner, and sent them along the line with messages from himself, that they had nothing to do but stand firm, and the victory was theirs. Meanwhile, the line of red dots in front was lengthening. It stretched farther to the left and right than Dick could see, and was rapidly coming nearer. Already the sentinels and skirmishers were waging a sharp conflict, and the shouts of the combatants increased in volume. Then the cold sun swung clear of the earth, and its wintry beams lighted up both forest and open. The whole southern army appeared, advancing in masses, and Dick, who was now with Major Hertford again, saw the pale rays falling on rifles and bayonets, and the faces of his own countrymen as they marched upon the Union camp. "'There's danger for our army, lots of it,' said Warner, as he watched the steady advance of the southern brigades. Dick remembered Bull Run, but his thoughts ran back to the Iron General who commanded now. "'Thomas will save us,' he said. The skirmishers on both sides were driven in. Their scattered fire ceased. But a moment later the whole front of the southern army burst into flame. It seemed to Dick that one vast sheet of light, like a sword-blade, suddenly shot forward, and then a storm of lead bearing many messengers of death beat upon the northern army, shattering its front lines and carrying confusion among its young troops. But the officers and a few old regulars, like Sergeant Whitley, steadied them, and they returned the fire. Major Hertford, Dick, and Warner were all on foot, and their own little band, already tried in battle, yielded not an inch. They formed a core of resistance, around which the others rallied, and Thomas himself was passing along the line, giving heart to the lads fresh from the farms. But the southern army fired again, and shouting the long, fierce rebel yell, charged with all their strength. Dick saw before him a vast cloud of smoke, through which fire flashed, and bullets whistled. He heard men around him uttering short cries of pain, and he saw others fall, mostly sinking forward on their faces. But those who stood held fast and loaded and fired until the barrels of their rifles burned to the touch. Dick felt many tremors at first, but soon the passion of battle seized him. He carried no rifle, but holding his officer's small sword in his hand, he ran up and down the line crying to the men to stand firm that they would surely beat back the enemy. That film of fire and smoke was yet before his eyes, but he saw through it the faces of his countrymen still coming on. He heard to his right the thudding of the great guns that Thomas had planted on the low hill, but the rifle fire was like the beat of hail, a crackling and hissing that never ceased. The farm lads, their rifles loaded afresh, fired anew at the enemy, almost in their faces, and the southern line here reeled back against so firm and deadly a front. But an alarming report ran down the line that their left was driven back, and it was true. The valiant Zollicoffer, leading his brigade in person, had rushed upon this portion of the northern army, which was standing upon another low hill, and struck it with great violence. It was wavering and would give way soon. But Thomas, showing the singular calm that always marked him in battle, noticed the weak spot. The general was then near Major Hertford. He quickly wrote a dispatch and beckoned to Dick. Here, he said, jump on the horse that the sergeant is holding for me. 
bring up our reserve the brigade under general carter they are to meet the attack there on the hill where our troops are wavering dick aflame with excitement leaped into the saddle and while the roar of battle was still in his ears reached the brigade of carter already marching toward the thick of the conflict one entire regiment composed wholly of kentuckians was detached to help the indiana troops who were being driven fiercely by zollicoffer dick rode at the head of the kentuckians but a bullet struck his horse in the chest the boy felt the animal shiver beneath him and he leaped clear just in time the horse falling heavily and lying quite still but dick alighted on his feet and still brandishing his sword shouting at the top of his voice ran on in an instant they reached the indiana troops who turned with them and the combined forces hurled themselves upon the enemy the southerners refusing to yield the ground they had gained received them and there began a confused and terrible combat shoulder to shoulder and hand to hand elsewhere the battle continued but here it raged the fiercest both commanders knew that they were to win or lose upon this hill and they poured in fresh troops who swelled the area of conflict and deepened its intensity dick saw warner by his side but he did not know how he had come there and just beyond him in the thick and powerful figure of sergeant whitley showed through the hot haze of smoke the back of warner's hand had been grazed by a bullet he had not noticed it himself but the slow drip drip of the blood held dick for a moment with a sort of hideous fascination then he broke his gaze violently away and turned it upon the enemy who were pouring upon them in all their massed strength thomas had sent the kentuckians to the aid of the indiana men just in time the hill was a vast bank of smoke and fire filled with whistling bullets and shouts of men fighting face to face someone reeled and fell against dick and for a moment he was in horror lest it should be warner but a glance showed him that it was a stranger then he rushed on again filled with a mad excitement waving his small sword and shouting to the men to charge from right to left the roar of battle came to his ears but on the hill where he stood the struggle was at its height the lines of federals and confederates face to face at first now became mixed but neither side gained in the fiery struggle a union officer fry saw zollicoffer only a few feet away snatching out his pistol he shot him dead the southerners seeing the fall of the general who was so popular among them hesitated and then gave back thomas watching everything with keen and steady gaze hurled an ohio regiment from the right flank upon the southern center causing it to give way yet further under the shock we win we win shouted dick in his ardor as he saw the southern line yielding but the victory was not yet achieved crittenden who was really zollicoffer's superior in the command displayed the most heroic courage throughout the battle he brought up fresh troops to help his weakened center he reformed his lines and was about to restore the battle but thomas silent and ever watchful now rushed in a brigade of tennessee mountaineers and as they struck with all their weight the new line of the south was compelled to give way success seen and felt filled the veins of the soldiers with fresh fire dick and the men about him saw the whole southern line crumble up before them the triumphant union army rushed forward shouting and the confederates were forced to give way at all points 
Dick and Warner, with a watchful sergeant near, were in the very front of the advance. The two young aides, carried away by success and the fire of battle, waved their swords continually and rushed at the enemy's lines. Dick's face was covered with smoke, his lips were burnt, and his throat was raw from so much shouting. But he was conscious only of a great elation. This is not another bull run, he cried to Warner, and Warner cried back, Not by a long shot. Thomas, still cool and watchful, and able to judge of results amid all the thunder and confusion of battle, hurried every man into the attack. He was showing upon this, his first independent field, all the great qualities he was destined later to manifest so brilliantly in some of the greatest battles of modern times. The southern lines were smashed completely by those heavy and continuous blows. Driven hard on every side, they now retreated rapidly, and their triumphant enemies seized prisoners and cannon. The whole Confederate army continued its swift retreat until it reached its entrenchments, where the officers rallied the men and turned to face their enemy. But the cautious Thomas stopped. He had no intention of losing his victory by an attack upon an entrenched foe, and drew off for the present. His army encamped out of range, and began to attend to the wounded and bury the dead. Dick, feeling the reaction after so much exertion and excitement, sat down upon a fallen tree trunk and drew long, panting breaths. He saw Warner near, and remembered the blood that had been dripping from his hand. Do you know that you're wounded, George? he said. Look at the back of your hand. Warner glanced at it and noticed the red stripe. It had ceased to bleed. Now that's curious, he said. I never felt it. My blood and brain were both so hot that the flick of a bullet created no sensation. I have figured it out, Dick, and I have concluded that seventy percent of our bravery in battle is excitement, leaving twenty percent to will and ten percent to chance. I suppose your calculation is close enough. It's not close merely. It's exact. Both sprang to their feet and saluted, as Major Hertford approached. He had escaped without harm, and he saw with pleasure that the lads were alive and well, except for Warner's slight wound. You can rest now, boys, he said. I won't need you for some time, but I can tell you that I don't think General Thomas means to quit. He will follow up his victory. But Dick and Warner had been sure of that already. The army, flushed with triumph, was eager to be led on, even to make a night attack on the entrenchments of the enemy. But Thomas held them, knowing that another brigade of northern troops was marching to his aid. The brigade came, but it was now dark, and he would not risk a night attack. But some of the guns were brought up, and they sent a dozen heavy cannon shot into the entrenchments of the enemy. There was no reply, and neither of the boys, though they strained their ears, could hear anything in the defeated camp. I shouldn't be surprised if we found them gone in the morning, said Major Hertford to Dick. But I think our general is right in not making any attack upon their works. What do you say to that, Sergeant Whitley? You've had a lot of experience. Sergeant Whitley was standing beside them, also trying to pierce the darkness with trained eyes, although he could not see the Confederate entrenchments. If a sergeant may offer an opinion, I agree with you fully, sir, he said. A night attack is always risky, and most of all, sir, when troops are new like ours, although they're as brave as anybody, more than likely, if we was to rush on them, 
our troops would be shootin' into one another in the darkness. Good logic, said Major Hertford, and as it's quite certain that they're not in any condition to come out and attack, we'll stand by and wait till morning. So the general orders. They walked back toward the place where the victorious troops were lighting the fires, out of the range of the cannon in the Confederate entrenchments. They were exultant, but they were not boasting unduly. Night, cold and dark, had shut down upon them, and was taking the heat out of their blood. Hundreds of men were at work building fires, and Dick and Warner, with the permission of Major Hertford, joined them. Both boys felt that the work would be a relief. Wood was to be had in abundance. The forest stretched on all sides of them in almost unbroken miles, and the earth was littered with dead wood, fallen a year or years before. They merely kept away from the side on which the Confederate entrenchments lay, and brought in the wood in great quantities. A row of lights a half-mile long sprang up, giving forth heat and warmth. Then arose the cheerful sound of tin and iron dishes and cups rattling against one another. A quarter of an hour later they were eating a victorious supper, and a little later most of them slept. But in the night the Confederate troops abandoned their camp, leaving in it ten cannon and fifteen hundred wagons, and crossed the river in boats, which they destroyed when they reached the other side. Then their defeat being so severe, and they but volunteers, they scattered in the mountains to seek food and shelter for the remainder of the winter. This army of the South ceased to exist. End of chapter 6 Part 2